This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got with me Tyler Lessard from Vidyard. And today we have a very exciting podcast. We're going to dig in, I think, a little bit to like storytelling. But before we get to that, even just the ideas of how do we think about our audience? Who's the audience we're talking to? And what can we do better as content marketers to up our game on the delivery of the presentations that we put in put forward with our content strategies. Tyler, you want to intro our first guest today and, and tell us what we're in for? Yeah, well, we're excited to have uh, Saurabh Katari here with us. And Saurabh is somebody who I've had the chance to work with for a number of years um, across uh, now a couple of different companies. And one of the things I've always really appreciated about Saurabh's approach to marketing and to content is that he is a storyteller at heart. And, you know, one of the foundations of great storytelling is, of course, understanding your audience and creating a story, creating messages that are not only relevant to them, but that we know are, are going to going to touch them both, you know, mentally, but also emotionally. And it's something that, um, you know, I think we understand bringing to life in lots of different ways, including through video and other forms of content and things that Saurabh has been doing for a number of years very successfully. So with that, um, Saurabh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and just give the quick background on where you've been the last number of years and, um, you know, what your focus has been. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, like like Tyler mentioned, I, I've I've worked at a number of large and small companies. Um, I've I've been fortunate to have worked across two major continents, um, Asia Pacific and uh, North America. Um, and for about the last twenty years, I, I've pretty much made it my job, regardless of title, um, to be a dedicated storyteller. What what has made it a, a little different from a lot of very qualified storytellers who I call friends is that my storytelling has been completely committed for business-to-business -business audiences. I, I have yet to convince a consumer to buy anything. I, 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 just, I, I just convince businesses to buy from other businesses. And, and that can be a lot more challenging, but, but I, I've, I've enjoyed the last two decades of doing that. Yeah, and you know, in the B two B world, Sarab, it's it's a good point. It's it's a different mindset in terms of how you how you communicate and how you build stories. But you know, I think one of the things we all keep hearing about is even in the world of B two B, it's still a human to human conversation that we need to be having. And you know, I think some marketers are getting there, but a lot are still, I think, struggling to get to that point of how do they create stories and messages and content that really appeal to people in a B two B context but still as individuals and still to their motives and to what drives them to succeed in their business. Um, so would you mind talking a little bit about that and how you tend to approach uh, storytelling and, and building messaging for audiences in a B2B world? Absolutely. So um, 
one of my favorite quotes, and I can't remember where it's from, is that 80% of all B2B buyers are humans. Because um, obviously that's, that's, that's meant to be facetious. You know, all buyers um, in all aspects of any market are human. Um, to your point, Tyler. So for, for the, now, the for now, right? I mean, we are entering into the AI world, but for now, we'll we'll accept that, right? <laughs> Correct. And, and Randy, I can go there, right? Where I'm working <laughs> right now, we are all AI. So there, there are literally buying scenarios where AI could be making the purchase uh, based on some legacy consent from a human. So amazing, amazing. Yeah. I digress, but go for it. Yeah, well, we'll get there when your fridge, you know, is authorized to buy your daily groceries based on your preferences, but the decision was actually not made by you for a specific product. We're, we're getting there. Um, anyway, so, so coming back, though, to humans, the, the, what's different in a business-to-business um, scenario, which is, is obvious, but we'll state it anyway, is that the purchase is being made for your company. And so the success or failure of the purchase is is going to reflect on your success or failure as a professional, not as an individual, right? So when you have to buy things for your company, you're buying them not just for use by yourself, but by your team and sometimes for the entire company. For example, if you buy health insurance for your company. Um, so the decisions can take longer. They can be more complicated. But I would argue that they are no less emotional. So storytelling is actually more important because when you're buying for your company, you're going to have to convince a lot of other people with the same story as opposed to convincing one person to buy for themselves. And, you know, one of the things that I've found uh, and I've, I've appreciated with yourself is with an approach to storytelling in B2B, you've got, I, I think you've got sort of two different personas you're dealing with and you, and you have to understand those really well. You've got the persona of the business and you've got the persona of the individual and, you know, great storytelling to me is able to bridge that gap and appeal both to the um, to, to almost the requirements of the business, but to the emotional aspect of that individual and what they're trying to achieve. So how do you go about, you know, building your messages and building your stories in that in that world? And, and what kind of questions do you ask and how do you get the outside in view to really understand what's going to motivate somebody to, to make a decision? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Tyler. So, so I'm I'm very traditional, even though I work in what are considered some advanced mediums. Um, and and in the coming years, I'm excited about getting into even more advanced mediums with 3D, AR, and VR. Um, given what what I'm doing with content, I'm traditional in my approach to storytelling, and that I am still first and foremost a character-based storyteller. And and for those who are professional storytellers, if that's what you do, if you're a writer or an editor, for example. Um, or a video producer or director um, or writer or editor, then you know what I'm talking about, that there is there are two sort of schools of thought around storytelling. One is plot-based, where the story or the narrative, the sequence of events is most important, and that is then that, that can be migrated to different scenarios um, and to different uh, characters. And I'm of the other school of thought that it's all about the characters. And there's, there's great flexibility in the sequence of events and what happens, um, but the characters is where you will win or lose your audience. And going back to our earlier point, that's where I think all storytellers or all marketers, frankly, need to start. You really need to understand the characters that represent your audience. If it's a buying, um, if there's a, a, a buying center, there are multiple characters involved. Um, if there are executives, how an executive's character uh, differs from the person that you might be working with, or if an executive needs to buy but someone else is going to use your product, 
well, those are, are different characters, and you've got to nail the character that is going to carry your story. Because if your character doesn't change, if nothing changes about your character, then all you've presented is information. You, you haven't actually presented a story. I love, I love that perspective, Sora. But I think, you know, just to give everyone who's listening to this podcast now uh, some perspective to, to what you're talking about. I mean, one of the things that I was commenting on as we were starting this podcast off air is how many questions you asked Tyler and I um, about the audience for the Content Pros podcast. And I think a lot of that had to do with you being able to better relate to our audience. Who are they? What interests them? Versus just coming on here and doing the same thing you've done on you know 3,000 plus webinars because you've, you've done quite a few. Um, and, and I think as marketers, that's something that we really need to take a step back and do. Um, and I, I applaud you for, for that you know, personality or character uh, you know, focus that you take. I, I think, you know, Tyler, you and I can probably talk to doing this a lot in, in how we sell our solutions, whether it's you at video or me at Uberflip, we try and really identify with the persona who we're selling to, who we're going to solve for, and what are their problems on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, maybe you can give us sort of like an example of how you've been able to pull that into your storytelling um, with these characters that you've sold to either now with Signified or in the past with Cisco? Absolutely. So I, I have to admit that, that I, am, I am generally the least intelligent person in the room, and that's been a blessing for me since I was young. I was, I was born into a family where I had a brother who was far more intelligent and another who was far more athletic. So I was kind of out of luck by the, by the time I was born. There, there really wasn't much competition. And so I've made it a practice, I've made it a life um, to learn from others very quickly and to just be in the right place at the right time. I bring this up because what I do, apart from storytelling from a content perspective and marketing, is I'm also a public speaker. And that's been very, very fortunate for me. I've been very lucky to do the two things. Because while I get paid to deliver the same session or essentially the same story to different audiences, I can never do that. That would be the fastest way to end your career as a public speaker. What I have to do is cater every presentation, every minute of every session on stage to the audience I'm connecting with, because then I'll get that human connection that drives dozens of questions after I've I've finished speaking, and then dozens more when I get off the stage, which is what you want from a public speaker. Someone you feel you can connect with and someone who could help you going forward after the event is over. So I bring that back when we talk about content that is not at an event, is you, you really got to understand that the conversation is happening with your audience, not to your audience. That There's just no tolerance from audiences anymore, especially on social media or in digital um, channels, for, for you to present to an audience. And, and I'll come back to this in, in a question when we talk about brand, but the, the sort of North Star when you're designing content and you're trying to craft a story is that the audience should be able to finish parts of the story if you were to take it out. If you are confident that would happen, then you've got a story worth telling. I love that perspective. It's, it's funny. I, just yesterday, I think it was, 
I was actually sitting in on an interview here and we, you know, it was an interview for a sales rep and our, our sales reps here, when they come in for a job interview, they actually do a presentation. And I, and I felt by the end of it as though I was sitting through a presentation like at school, right? Where they were presenting the slides and they were going through them and they had them nailed, right? But there was no interactive element. Right. And, and I think that same thing that you're just talking about there where, you know, you, you make it more of, of a of a room where everyone's participating is the key more and more. And, and I think a lot of that, as you pointed out, is probably being driven by the way we're interacting on social. Right. I mean, the fact that we can interact with famous people or non-famous people, you know, wouldn't have existed 10 years ago. Exactly. And, and using sales as as a. As a good analogy here, Randy, I, I'm going to call out that before I was in marketing, I was actually in sales. And while I did well in sales, um, even if I wasn't the best salesperson, the one thing I had, and it drove everyone else on the sales team uh, nuts, is I always had the highest referrals. Because again, I always made it a conversation, right? To me, the most important skill in communication is listening, not presenting, not even measurement. It's just the simple art of listening, which, by the way, is not very simple. There's a lot of layers of listening that one has to train oneself to, to get into because when you're in a conversation and you're taking a point, you can get really caught up in making sure that your point is ready and you can stop listening to the conversation or the person or, in a broader sense, a brand can stop listening to a market. And then you're lost. Then no one's going to actually care about what you're saying because you're not saying it to them. You're saying it to yourself. So coming back to, to sales, salespeople generally will have a long and, and prosperous career if they can get referrals. Even if you don't close the deal, you're the person that the people in the room would want to refer future business to. Well, then now you've got a brand as a salesperson, and, and hopefully you're carrying the brand of your company as a company that they want to be associated with, even if they're not ready to buy at that time. That's a that's a great uh, great takeaway for people to work with their sales teams on is and coach them on that discovery stage as you're referring to. Um, we're going to take a quick pause in the podcast. Come back after we hear from a couple. I, I should say after we listen to a couple of our sponsor reads here, and uh, then maybe we will talk about how does a marketer listen in on how things are going. Hey Zoe. Hey Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. Welcome back to our Content Pros podcast with Saurabh Katari. So, Rob, I want to um, double down on what you were just talking about with respect to, to listening um, to your audience and, and listening being the most important part of communication. Uh, I absolutely love that idea. And, you know, we actually, our own team recently realized that a lot of the content we were producing, it was, it was the content we wanted to produce. And it made us feel really good and feel like great thought leaders because it was really innovative and really forward 
forward thinking. But we started to discover that for the majority of our audience, it was way ahead of what they were talking about or thinking about. And the questions they were asking were so much more basic than the answers we were trying to provide. And that really started to shift our own content strategy. We realized that, you know, we need to listen more to what they're really looking for and not what we think they're looking for. Um, And that's actually started to change the way we plan out our content schedule and, um, you know, look at what kind of uh, not not only types of content, but also the mediums that we're using. So maybe pivot off of that and and talk a little bit about how you've done that in the past. and, And maybe from a practical sense, how do you listen to the market as a marketer? You know, where do you get your insights on what the audiences are looking for, what challenges they're facing to inform the way you build your messages? Absolutely. So let's start at the very beginning, right? Every business um, was founded to solve a problem. And, and as, you, as you grow in the market and as you gain more customers, you either solve that problem better to the point where you solve it best and then you just get acquired because you're really good at that one thing, or you solve other problems. And then you can raise a lot of funding and solve a lot of problems and gain a lot of customers. And, and you're off to the races, right? Congratulations to you. But coming back to the notion that you solve a problem as a business, the very first thing you should ask yourself when you're trying to design content, and it's really hard to do if you're a known brand, because you got to get your ego out of the way, is how would your prospective buyer or customer solve this problem without you? If you didn't exist, if your product didn't exist, if your company didn't exist, if all the awards you won didn't exist, how would they solve this problem without you? Because that's their reality. They haven't bought yet. You don't exist for them. Start from there. What is that person actually looking for? What are the search terms that they're using? What's their language for articulating the problem? And how important is it to them? Do they search for this thing between 9 and 11 in the morning or 8 or 11 in the morning, especially West Coast folks, um, 8 or 11 in the morning? Or do they search for this after 4 p.m.? Very different priority, guys as to when someone is searching for something. And what kind of content do they consume when they search for it? Your competitors are going to be a great source of learning for all of this. Imagine you're the buyer, you cannot buy from yourself, who would you buy from? And why would you buy from them? All right, now you've got the problem articulated from the buyer's perspective, in their words, right? Search terms they would use. Now, understand who the buyer is, right? Are you talking predominantly male? Female? How do you know that? Well, we're not in a you know, static world of content. Everything is interactive. Look at who's leaving comments on content that you think is working in your industry. Is it men? Is it women? Are they early in career? Are they later in career? Look them up. Look at their profiles. Everything's public nowadays, guys. Take the feedback that your competitors are getting and probably not using and use it for your content. Look at what people said, the good and the bad. Obviously do the same on your own site right? And with your own brand. But I'm saying if you don't have a brand or you don't have a story at all, this is how you develop it as you go into the market and understand how the market is actually crafting the story without you. Then you can come in and you can master the story that would be better for that market. I'm going to pause there. Does that make sense as a foundation for, for how you would listen? It, yeah, it, it totally does. And it's, it's actually a, a... I really admire that because it's a very different idea from, you know, what I, what I generally think about. And I love that notion of, you know, take yourself out of the industry and think about how would somebody solve this problem without you? 
um, you know, could they? And if so, how would they? And I think that's that's actually a really brilliant approach because now you're trying to understand the very specifics around the steps they'll need to take to get there. And that's something we found to really work in our own content strategy these days is, is looking at those individual ideas of, okay, they would need to do this and then they would need to do that. And we're publishing content to solve those very specific problems um, and, and mapping those back to those keywords. So I think it's absolutely on, on point. And uh, uh, Randy, can you argue with this, please? Because I hate all of this, you know, uh, we, we, we all agree. There's got to be something. Yeah, there's be something I, I'm here. like taking notes from my marketing team. This is this is wrong, right? We've got to be more controversial so that people uh, people uh, wake up here. But you know, I, I guess maybe the only part I'll challenge you on um, is how do you have time to do this, right? Because everything you're saying makes so much sense. But I think as marketers, obviously, we're all deadline focused. We're trying to get content out the door. You know, how do you possibly make time to not just monitor your own content? But actually monitor the content of your competitors or the content you know that would exist if you weren't out there. You know, how do you find time to balance this? And maybe in the organizations you've been in, you know, which are you know in some cases very large organizations, Sarah, how how has that been balanced? Yeah, time time is the ultimate resource, right? Because when it comes to freedom, which is what I think most of us want more than anything else, except maybe love. Right, but let's not go there on this podcast. Um, when it comes to to freedom and, and true autonomy from a professional perspective, right, it, time is the the greatest challenge. Right, if you don't have time, you don't have freedom because you're already committed to doing something else, and that's that's the end of the game. I I tend to multitask, but not in the traditional um, sense of the word. I don't multitask in trying to do multiple things at the same time because I'm actually terrible at that. I can only really focus at one thing at a time, and I like to focus on one thing at a time for a while. I also am I'm a little old-fashioned in when I'm developing content, I like the idea, and this is you know hundreds of years old, of sleeping on it. You will have very different thoughts about your story, your, your copy, your email subject line, your title, your characters, even the premise of your content, 24 hours after you think you're done when you just take a fresh look at it, because your subconscious mind has had the time to process it while you were sleeping. It's sad, but we all do that. We think about work when we're sleeping, and we try to represent it in our dreams because we care about our work, right? We're not forced to do it as maybe our ancestors were, you know, hundreds of years ago. But coming back to time, how do I get to commit to understanding an audience? How do I get to sleep on things? That sounds ridiculous. Who has that much time? Because we cut down a lot of the other stuff we don't need to do. And, and, I, and I know this sounds almost too trivial or, or too optimal, but the truth is when we're developing messaging, when we're developing content, we go straight to the source. And that saves us a lot of time. For, for example, when I've worked at larger companies, I would challenge the executives directly in front of the camera when we weren't rolling instead of trying to challenge them three weeks before and spending three weeks on something that would take three minutes when we had a direct conversation. Being direct is going to save you a lot of time. And if you can be direct with the people that need to actually control the story or that are going to deliver the story or that know the story best, you can avoid guessing. And as a marketer, you know this. If you can take the guesswork out, you've saved about 70 to 80% of your time. 
There's a there's a lot of, of great points in what you just said. First, I'm I'm really glad that I've found another person who can't multitask. Uh, I'm I'm definitely in the same boat, and, and I use it to my advantage, though, right? Like I I often say to my wife, you know, if I'm listening to you, I'm listening because I can't possibly be doing something else at the same time, right? You know, if I'm doing something else, you know, you shouldn't even try. Um, but you know, I think a lot of the more serious points that, that you made there in terms of focus is, is something that, you know, as marketers, we need to do, you know, a lot better um, on, an, on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, Tyler, I don't know, how do you get your marketing team over at Vidyard to, to pick which, you know, which details they get into versus, you know, the higher level areas that, uh, that really move the needle? Yeah, you know, one of the things we've, we've tried to do is, is have really targeted, focused, almost like sprint-like activities on, you know, different personas or different targets. And we actually try to do it cross-functionally within the team. So we get different perspectives. So we'll have, you know, our product marketer and uh, one of our designers and perhaps one of our content marketers, you know, all kind of attack a persona at the same time. Um, And when I say persona, you know, some of the things that you talked about, Saurabh, we will try to do, which is, you know, we'll actually go in and find real people, real individuals that are out there, to your point, commenting or being active in the community um, that obviously represent the type of person that that you want to be selling to. And we'll dive in and, and try to really peel back and learn as much as we can about that individual. But I've always liked that idea of having a few different perspectives um, because one person's take on, you know, how that person is 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 in engaging in certain type of content may be different from somebody else's interpretation. And, uh, you know, we don't always have the luxury of that, but what we've tried to do is, is do those short sprints and say, okay, we've got an afternoon here, you know, we're going to go off and brainstorm on this and um, quickly dive into it and come back with some ideas. And, and I think that can be effective and it's, it's tough. That's, you know, you know, always find data that's statistically relevant of the whole industry, but sometimes you just got to make those bets and, uh, and do what you can. I, I think both of you are hitting on on great advice, and and we felt this at Uberflip at, at times. You know, sometimes we we wait too much to that deadline, and and I remember recently, you know, the event marketing season that that we all go through, which is often at the be you know beginning of spring and then back again in the fall, and we waited too late for our messaging for our booth, as an example, and. You know, we went to the first event and it didn't work, but, you know, we did alter it. But I think had we started a little bit earlier and as Saurabh, you said, like, had we had time to sleep on it a few nights and look at it and come in with different perspectives, we probably would have nailed it maybe on the first iteration a little bit better than what we adjusted for the next event. So I think a lot of us can can benefit from from more of the discipline that you're really talking about there. So and, we, and again, Randy, I didn't I didn't figure that out. Right. This all came from from failure. Like I said, this wasn't brilliance. It's just experience. I, I, I honestly, I, we we learned, and I learned the hard way that you have to delegate and you have to decide because it's so much better when you're creating content or you're you're trying to influence an audience to be cared about by twenty percent of the audience, and then to be irrelevant to eighty percent of the audience. You do not want to be a message that everybody understands but nobody cares about. That's, that's great advice. That's great advice. So we have a few few minutes left. And one of the things we always like to do at the end of our podcast here, 
uh, together is is get to know you outside of work a bit. So yeah, you know, I was trying to dig a bit, and uh, you know, I, I found a, you know a little bit of tidbits that that we'll hit on here. Um, you know, before you uh, you've had this amazing career in content marketing at companies like Cisco and On Twenty Four, um, and as signified, you did have a bit of a test with film. And I'm, I'm curious what that looked like and where the passion comes from. Yeah, so that, that was actually one of the reasons I left sales. Um, I come from a business family. Every single person in our family is a salesperson because if you're in business, you're selling. And I couldn't get into the media business um, in sales. So I moved to marketing to get into media. And then I, I, I was doing marketing at Merrill Lynch on Wall Street. And I did another crazy decision. I left Wall Street packed my things, took my money, and went to film school in LA. And, and that's all because of always... I'm, I'm sure your family was really excited about that. There was actually an intervention. <laughs> True story. The, my, my family is very large, um, and, and it's very traditional. So my father is one of six brothers. A representative of each brother was at the dinner. spent <laughs> two and a half hours talking me out of, of leaving Wall Street to go to film school. Um, and I listened. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's... and then I did what I what I thought made sense. And so so that's why I, I for me the 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 power of the story is not the number of people that hear it, but the amount of behavior that changes because of it. And I felt that that the most influential media that's out there where people actually change the way they think um was film. And nobody admits it, but they think a little differently after they've consumed an entire story, a, a rich story like a movie. And it can affect you for years. It can affect you your whole life. So that's what I wanted to do. All right. So so now we want to get to know the the, the more relaxed side of you. So now that we know you you like movies, and I think everyone's walking away from this podcast with you know a whole bunch of notes that they've written down. But what's the stupidest movie that you love? The the, the stupidest movie. Yeah, you know, like one of those like Will Ferrell or or whoever the one you go to is, where like. You just need a good laugh. You need to relax. What's that? What's that movie you go to? Oh man, I, I that's that's a good question. You know, it's it's uh, it's hard. I, I I think my go-to sort of brilliant, stupid actor um, is Jim Carrey, nice. and and any anything with Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey is actually a very gifted actor and a true comedian, and that he's had a really hard sort of sad life. So it's easy for him to to make uh, comedy and make you laugh, um, but but I, I'm always aware, and I think Jim's always aware that this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so true. It's funny. <laughs> I, I actually I used a Jim Carrey movie analogy today. Um, you know, with the Truman Show when I was yep. just talking about the bubble that we live in, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, such a great movie, you know. Uh, and it's funny, he's, he's uh, I've got my young kids actually watching some of his movies now. They're just starting to gain that appreciation for his humor. So tons of fun. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a quick sort of off-screen um, reason why, why I'm a Jim Carrey fan. I've, I've rarely seen it done, but he successfully joked about how he wasn't even nominated for the role that was probably, you know, Oscar worthy. And he did that at the Oscars. For me, that's a true comedian. Like, bravo. Absolutely. Well put. Well put. 
Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, you know, we really appreciate you, Sarab, coming on to the podcast, sharing all this knowledge with us. Um, you know, if people have enjoyed this podcast and are enjoying learning about content marketing on this podcast, I encourage you to also check out the contentmarketingclass.com. So that's contentmarketingclass.com. It's run through Convince and Convert through Jay Bear, who's another great storyteller and speaker that like we've talked about today. And he's doing a class to really get people understanding the value of content marketing and how you can up your game in your organization. Um, Beyond there, this podcast has many other uh, podcast versions and episodes that you can take a look at at contentprospodcast.com, which is part of that Convince and Convert family of podcasts and content that that you can trust. Uh, On behalf of Tyler at Vidyard, I'm Randy Frisch at Uberflip, and thank you so much to Rob for joining us. Rob, just as a, a last point, any content that you've put out that people should should tune in for? Well, I mean, I think like everyone here, I'm very public. Um, I, I encourage any audience to reach out with questions and, and to Tyler's point, to challenge anything we're saying. Um, my, my, my profile, just about everywhere you find it, will have content linked to it. So if, you, if you're so inclined, you know, take a Take again, right? Just just try out any of the videos or presentations that I've put out there, and I would be very keen to hear back. Again, I, I'd love to hear what your audience thinks about what we're saying. Thanks so much. Until next time, this has been Content Pros Podcast. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.